We are up to the Gimel Amar Aleph. And um, we're up to. Uh, no, no, no. The dollar is tomorrow. Gimel. Gimel. We started on Friday. Today's Gimel. You're a little bit ahead of us. So if you don't mind, we'll do a little bit of review. We're up to. My share is up to. Um, um, the memory, about 10 lines from the top of the page. <clears throat> so we're saying here that somebody who is um, mute as well is, uh, is, is exempt. And we said that a cherish, if it's, if it's the ordinary cherish, which is deaf and dumb, they have the same status as a shaiter and as a cotton, and they're exempt from all the mitzvahs in the Torah. But if somebody, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me, but uh, somebody who is uh, just uh, deaf or somebody who's just mute, they are chayiv in all the mitzvahs in the Torah. They're even obligated in the mitzvah of simcha on Yom Tif, but they're exempt from the mitzvah of Riyah. Exempt from the mitzvah of Riyah. And we said, why are they exempt from mitzvah of Riyah? Because we learn from the mitzvah of Hakel. Hakel is very similar to the mitzvah of going up once every seven years. The, the king would go out there and read on the on Cholmet Pesach. And so um, we learn from Hakel where it says over there that all the people come to uh, come to see. And how do you know about Hakel? Uh, that it's exempt because it says, Laman Yishmedu or Laman Yilmedu. They should listen and they should understand. So we said, they should hear. So somebody is deaf, even though he can speak, obviously he's not included. And um, is somebody that hears but cannot speak. So right now the Gemara thinks that if somebody can hear but cannot speak, it's lacking in the learning. Somehow or another, you don't understand the learning as well, because maybe you have to be able to repeat what you learned. And if you cannot speak it out, then you don't really fully understand it. That's what Gemara thinks right now. So Gemara, remember, so are you trying to say, if somebody is unable to speak, like Gomar doesn't learn properly, doesn't understand it. Well, let me tell you about a certain incident that occurred. There's two mute students, the that they were in the neighborhood of Rebbe. These students were B'nai Barte. They were two brothers. The Rabbi Yechelon Ben Gudgo, they were the grandchildren of Rabbi Yechelon, the son of Gudgo. Others say they were B'nai Achter Yechelon, they were the nephews. But they were mute. The Chol Amos have a Isle Rebbe, the Beimid Russia. Whenever Rebbe would go into the into the base Hamedrash to give the shear, have Isle, they also would come in. The Yasser Kamaya, they made sure they sat in the front row, right in front of Rebbe. Umenaide Bereshayu, they would constantly nod their head as if they're understanding what's going on. Umarachshin Sifusai, their lips were moving, but Obviously, they weren't saying anything. And the Rebbe had such rachmanus on them, such compassion, because they were so into their learning. Rebbe then davened on their behalf. The Itzu, they were cured. And the Ishtakach, as soon as they were able to speak, they found out that having Gemira Hilchus, that they knew how to learn so well, they were very fluent in all the halachas. The Sifra, they knew all the Mishnayis that were on Chumash Vayikra, the Sifri, they knew everything that was on on Midbar and Dvarim, the Kula Hashas, 
They knew the entire Shas, which means it proves from here that they already had the Shas in the times of Rabbi Yudan Nasi. So they knew everything. So how do you learn from the word Leman Yilmudu that if somebody's mute, they're exempt from the mitzvah? If they can hear, they understand it very well. Says the mother, you're right. Even though it's written read it as if it says that whatever they learn, whatever they glean, and during Hakal, they have to be able to teach it and convey it to others. And because they can't, they're mute, that's why they're exempt from the midst of Hakal. And if they're exempt from the midst of Hakal, they're exempt also from the midst of going up to the base of Migdash, because we learn Ria Ria for the base of Migdash. Rav Ashi says, Rav Ashi says, Forget about your whole story and you're trying to prove that people who are mute but they can listen are smart. Just reading the Pasha the Chumash, you'll have to say that the word is that you are obligated to come to Hakel if you're able to teach others. Because if you think that they should be able to learn themselves, and the Kivan Goman, you're trying to tell me that if they don't speak, they don't really understand. So therefore, if they don't the kivin the leishama legamar, and since if they don't hear, they don't understand. Then they both come under the same umbrella. If you're telling me the problem of somebody mute is that they don't understand, as if they didn't hear it, so then the same place that you derive that a deaf person is exempt, the same place you should derive a mute person exempt. They both have the same exemption. They don't understand. Yishmu means not just to hear, but to understand. They both don't understand. Obviously, a mute person fully understands, and yet the Torah, for whatever reason, says they're exempt. Means that they should come and teach. Okay, so that's that. So our Mishnah basically tells us, just to tell you an interesting argument between the Rambam and um, and Tosis. According to Rambam, there's one mitzvah, on, on, and that mitzvah is to go to to uh, the mitzvah of Ria, to go to the base Hamikdash three times a year, and to bring a carbon. It's one mitzvah. If you go to the base of Migdush and you don't bring that carbon ria with you, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah of going to the base of Migdush. It's one mitzvah. Trace has learned the two disparate mitzvahs. There's one mitzvah to traveling and going to, 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 to see the base of Migdush, and the other one is to bring that carbon. And the Yushalmi argues with our Mishnah. Our Mishnah says that everyone is obligated except women are, are not obligated, and the other exceptions it gives it. According to Rashi, our Mishnah is talking about the mitzvah of ria. That they are exempt from going to the base of Mikdash. They're exempt from going, so obviously they don't bring a carbon. But the Rishalmi says that the Al Mishnah is talking about the carbon. They're exempt from bringing a carbon, but they still need to go to the Shalayim. They still need to make that trip and go to the base of Mikdash. In other words, the Rishalmi learns there's two separate myths the carbon and going to the base of Mikdash. They're exempt from the carbon, but they're obligated to go to the base of Mikdash. But um, our, the way Rashi learns, our Mishnah is like the Rambam, it's one myth. And this, you can't separate the two. So if you're exempt from the carbon, you're exempt from seeing this one mitzvah. Okay, now the Gemara continues. Amr Tanchum. The Tanchum said, <clears throat> when we say that somebody is deaf and they're exempt, it doesn't mean that deaf in both ears, it's impossible for them to hear. Even they can hear. But if they're deaf on one ear, somebody's deaf on one ear is exempt from Ria. In fact, there's a whole Shavus uh, Yaakov and others that talk about, when we talk about deaf people, what about if somebody puts a hearing aid and they can hear? But without the hearing aid, they cannot hear. How do we understand that? Is that considered a deaf person? They're exempt from mitzvahs or not? And they're talking about over there in those days, whatever the hearing aid device was, there they were. So it's an interesting discussion there. And, and basically, according to Shavus Yaakov, if you would scream loud in this person's ear, stand close by, 
and their natural ear then can hear something, can hear it, then even though you have a, uh, an earpiece, still you're not considered a deaf person. But if you are impossible to hear only because of you put this bionic ear inside, then it becomes questionable. What is your status? At least to certain mitzvahs. So if you're deaf on one ear, what happens then? He says you're exempt. Now why? You can hear it. Why you're exempt? So when Gimel Omar Al is in the middle of the page, so Tanchum says that if you're deaf on one ear, you're exempt. Why? Because it says in Pasik, it says when you come to do the mitzvah of Hakel, you should read the entire Torah uh, to all the Yidin into their ears. Now, there are two ways of understanding their ears. Are you talking about collectively? It says in Pasik, Neged Yisrael, speak to all the Yidin to their ears. Uh, when you're saying as name plural, you're talking about all the Jews together and therefore using the plural term for ears, or you're saying each person to their two ears, says the Gemara, but as means each individual person to their two ears, says the Gemara, no it isn't, but don't we need those name for something else, isn't it to tell you that all the Jews have to be there, and therefore we need as name plural for the Klau Yisrael, says the Gemara, no, because I who that that everybody has to attend, we learn out from a neged kol yisrael nafke. The words in the pasuk is neged kol yisrael. Read to all the Jews be'azneim in their ears. So a neged kol yisrael already tells you that everybody has to be there. What's the word be'azneim? That each individual, both of the ears, have to hear. Says the Gemara. No, I still need be'azneim because even neged kol yisrael. If it just say read it to all the Yidin. How I mean, I would have thought afagav the shami. Even though they cannot hear it, it's good enough. Therefore, Kosov Rachmana, therefore the Torah says, but Azneim, that you would think that they can be far away. As long as they see their presence is good enough, and the Torah says, not name. everyone has to hear it. But how do you know that both of your ears, that we're talking about each individual, both of the ears have to be operational? As long as they hear it, we already learned before, it says in, in the Hakel, that, that they all have to hear. And because we already know that they all have to hear, it says, why does it have to say Buzz's name in their ears? How else do you hear without the ears? Must be to tell you that every person, both of their ears have to be uh, functional. That's un- one, another difference. So just like he said, one ear may, um, exempts you. We had in the mission that if you're, if you're crippled, you are exempt because you cannot be oil or you cannot make a trip. So he says, even if you're limping on one leg, you're also exempt. You cripple on one leg, you are potim in the exempt. How do I know that? Because it says a posse, shalosh regalim. And regalim means that you have, you know, plural. You have to have more than one uh, usable leg. Says the Gemara, but what are you talking about? Regalim, well, we need it for something else. We're talking about a case where you're missing part of your leg. That's what regalim is. For example, pratle balakavan, somebody who's an amputee and they have a stump, a wooden stump as a leg. So it tells you you're exempt. But if you have your full leg, the only question is not really functional. Who said you are potter? Says you no. If you're missing part of your leg, we learn from another pastor. Who that we learn out that says, says the pastor, three times a year you should come and make your appearance. It says pa'amim. And pa'amim means also a leg walking. Pa'amim means walking with your foot inside a shoe. Now, can we learn from there? How do I know that? So once we know, we'll soon see how we know that pa'amim means that you have to have the full legs, then what do we do with regolim? To tell you, you have to have the full use of both of your legs. How do I know that pami means your full legs? The time you learn pami, ain't pami, the pami means your feet, your legs. It says in Pasik, 
that you should tread, your foot should tread, ragle only the foot of a poor person is talking about Mashiach. Is the footsteps of the poor. And it says, Ma Yafu how beautiful are your footsteps, Banaolim in shoes, Bas Nodiv, the daughter of this generous person. So what do we see? That Pami means that you have full full feet for legs, and you're able to put them in your shoe. And therefore, the gully must mean that you have use, full use of your legs. And this very passage just said, Mind of Sleep, it says, How wonderful are your steps, with your shoes. Bas Nadi, the daughter of the generous person. What, who is this? We're referring to Klai Yisrael, and we're saying that we're the daughter of the generous person. Who is this generous person? First of all, he says, How wonderful are the footsteps of a Yid, when they're going and making that trek to the base of Yiddish. Bas Nadi, the daughter of the generous person. The daughter of Avram. Shanika that is known as Nadiv. Now, why is Avram known as a generous person? Shnema. It says in passing, Divi that all the generous people of the nations gather together. Amalekai Avram, the nation of the God of Avram. It says the God of Avram. What about the rest? Why is he only highlighting the God of Avram? He was the beginning of the Geir. Now, if you read the Gemara simply, it would mean that he was the first Jew. He was the first person to recognize Hashem. In fact, Rashi says that. Rashi says over here that what does it mean? Rashi says here that um, because he donated his heart to recognize Hashem. In other words, he was the first Jew. Toysus says something interesting. He says he was the one who had the first mitzvah of circumcision of Bris Miller, more than all those before him. In other words, there's a big argument if the Jews prior to Matan Torah, halachically were Jewish or not. Was Avram halachically a Jew or not? According to some, he was a ben Noach. He was a guy, but he took upon himself all the traditions and stringencies of a, of a Yid. Others say, no, that Avram was the first Yid. And it's a big argument. In fact, Rashi and the Ramban argue about this in the very end of Pasha's Emmer. The Mishnah Melech wrote a whole sefer on this, Pasha's Drachim. He explains, actually, this is the argument between Yosef and his brothers, whether they were considered Jewish or were not considered Jewish. And seems that that's the argument right here. Rashi says that he, why is he called Chilgeir? Because he's the first one who, who recognized Hashem. He's the first Jew. Toysus doesn't say that. Toysus says he's the first one who had a mitzvah called Mbris Miller. As if to say he wasn't a Yid, but because he had the mitzvah, Bris Miller, that makes him Chilgeir. First one down that path. The, the, the Shagas Ari want to say, actually, there's a third category that the, the, the people prior were not Goyim, but they were not Yidim. They were sort of in between, in a transitional uh, stage. Anyway, continue the Gemara. Talking about uh, Rabbi Tanchum, we'll mention something else. Rabbi Tanchum mentioned something else. It says the Gemara, it says the Pasik. A boy raged by Yosef when they tossed him into the pit. It says that boy was empty, ain't by mind, there was no water there. The master was never Once you know that the, that the pit was empty, ain't your dash, ain't by mind, does that automatically tell you there was no water there? The mind ain't by there's no water. There were snakes and scorpions. We actually had this Gemara and Shabbos during the whole, in the middle of the whole subject of Hanukkah, where it talks about how high the menorah can be. A menorah should not be higher than 20 amos. And we bring this Gemara there. And it seems the reason why we bring it there is because the brothers decided they're not going to kill Yosef, they were going to sell him. So they tossed him into the pit. But there were scorpions there. And we learned in our brachas that scorpions are deadly. In the middle of Shemaneser, you're attacked by a scorpion, jump out because it's Sakonis Nefashis. 
So the brothers didn't want to kill him. Why did they throw him into a pit full of scorpions? Obviously, they didn't know that. They couldn't see because this pit was 20 amas deep. So we learn out from here that there's a certain first point where even though it's there, but people can't see it. So the same thing with Hanukkah lights. If it's too high and people cannot see it, you're not Yetzir. That's Don't we say that uh, by Bahamah, if it falls into a pit, if it's more than 10 Tfachim, it's already uh, yes. liable to kill them? Yeah, if we learn about possible, we learn about Bakama that, uh, that has a nine Tfachim is just damaged, and 10 Tfachim, yeah, an animal falls down and gets killed. So, so Allah has come Bakama 20 Amas. You know, we're talking about, forget that part. We're talking about he, they weren't able to see there were scorpions there. Yeah, but I'm they chuck about, him in a deep pit. It's going to kill him itself. That's a separate question. That's, that's a separate question. question. That's what I'm question. Oh, it doesn't say they threw him in. They could have took, put a ladder there and told him to go down. Or dropped him by a rope. By Yeah, maybe in a rope. You know, they, they lowered him okay. in the rope. And they You're very him. generous in your translation, Rabbi. <laughs> You're being done, Lekavskos. You're a better man than me. Why not? Okay, Gemara. Torah Rabbi learned. Maisid is a story, Rabbi Yechon and Breaker, Rabbi Lozam and Chisma, two students of, of Rabbi Yeshua. As an intro, we learned in Gemara Brachas that Rabbi Gamliel was the leader and they impeached him for various reasons. And they, they placed Rabbi, Rabbi Lozab and Azariah as the leader. Later on, they decided to reinstate him. When they reinstated Rabbi Gamliel, they decided that three weeks Rabbi Gamliel should be in charge and one week should be Rabbi Lozab and Azariah. Now, bear that in mind. So these two students, Rabbi Yechanan and Rabbi Lozab and they went to visit Rabbi Shua in the city of Kin. And Rabbi Shua wasn't around the, um, the, the base of Medrash at that time. He asked them, tell me, what was said today novel in base of Medrash? They said, they said, the first they excused themselves, we're your students, we drink from your well, we're going to tell you some new Torah that you don't know. They were very reticent to share. He said to them, even so, famous words, it's impossible that you know, you, there's so many students are studying together and something novel didn't come out. So then, and, and they still were reluctant to say anything. So he, so he engaged them, he says, tell me, Shabbos, who, uh, who was the rabbi? Shabbos, so he said, okay, you don't want to tell me a halacha, you don't want to pass in front of your rabbi, but tell me some of the, the drush that the rabbi said. They said, okay, the Pasha's hackle. We were discussing Pasha's hackle, and that's the, the nexus to this Gemara we're learning now. So, what did Rosh Hashanah say? He had to tease it out of them. They were reluctant. The Gemara will soon explain why. And uh, what did he say? He quoted the Pasik that you should gather together all the men, women, and children. If men are coming to study, women are coming to understand, to listen. Why are children coming? The, the toddlers, infants. So we say, to bring a reward to the people that brought them. And Tosis says in the very last Tosis on the page, a very interesting, based on this Gemara is why we bring little kids to show. Not like those who say, oh, don't bring little kids to show, make too much noise. We bring little kids to show because just like in the midst of Hakel, you bring taf to give a reward to the parents. The other Tosis says in the Rishonim say that that in, in the Gemara Saita, Ben Azai says there's an obligation to teach your daughter Torah. Rabbi Loza Ben Azariah here clearly holds not because he says over here, men are to learn and women are to listen. Why doesn't he just say Anoshim Ben Noshim Lilmai? Because he holds that 
women have a mitzvah to learn only what they need to know, all the halachas, but to learn just for general sake, no. That's what he holds. We'll learn more about it in a seita, but the Rambam actually says that this is talking about sort of forcing someone to learn. So you force a guy to learn, you don't force a woman. But if they want to learn on their own volition, then on the contrary, teach them Torah. So the Rambam seems to say. The Chafetz Chaim writes, and the Lama Chereba write, that in those days, I guess the women were raised at home and they learned everything from their mother and their father. But today, because they learn all the secular studies, you need to give them as much Torah as possible as, and, 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 and it's an obligation, not just you allowed to. It's an obligation to teach as much as you can. And times have changed. Anyway, so the Gemara continues. Amalehem, so Yeshua said to them, Magoli is beautiful, precious stone in your hands. Will be cashed them of the many you refused to share it with me. You didn't want to, you were reticent. So they now they started becoming a bit more forthcoming. And so Rabbi Yeshua was very pleased. So they said, you know what? We'll tell you a few other things, a few other tidbits that Abu Lazar Malazai said. Next thing he said was, it says in the Pasik, and these are Rashi and Chumash actually says it's a strange word. Usually Amar means to said, it's not what it means over here. And I said, Hamarta means praise. Hashem praises today and we praise Hashem. You made me one beautiful praise, or Abhagai says, You made me one beautiful picture. And I will make for you one beautiful praise. What praise did we make for Hashem that He is so impressed? We say, Hashem is one. I'll do the same thing for you. And then it says, the Jewish people are one nation. Who's as great as you are? That's the second thing that Abu Lazar ben said. The top choices on the page says something fascinating. He brings a medrash that we have three things. We have Shabbos, Hashem, and the Eden. And each two gives witness or bears witness of the third. So the, um, the, the Jews and, and Shabbos both say to Hashem, you are one. Hashem... Hashem and the Eden say, Shabbos, you're your day of rest. And, uh, and Shabbos and Hashem together say, about the Eden, Goy Echad Ba'aretz, you are one nation. And says Taistus, Friday night in Shabbos morning at Davening, in Shemona Esra, we say, Yismach Moshe Matnas Chelkei, is talking about Shabbos. Moshe was happy with his gift. Or Atta Kidashta, again, we're talking about sanctifying their Shabbos. But in Mincha, we say, Atta Echad, Veshimcha Echad, you're one, your name is one. What does that do with Shabbos? Says Tosis, that's exactly what it is. This is Shabbos is testifying that Hashem is one and we are one. And that is why we're saying it. We talk about resting there as well. And that's why we say based on this medrash. Okay. Then they continued. Again, they were more forthcoming. But after Puzzle, in fact, it was as another thing. He said, the words of the rabbis are like, you know, the yoke by an animal that you put on two animals, this so that they can plow in a straight line. Uber and with nails and the tuyim that are planted in there, that's bedded down. those people who gathered together. That's what the Pasik says. Not Nitnu, they were all given Maraya Echa, they were all given from one shepherd. What's going on there? So this is what Rabbi Zayi said. What's the Pasik referring to? 
And he starts saying the words of the rabbis. Obviously, what rabbis' words are to do with Torah. So what's he saying? Why are the words of Torah compared to this yoke? This darbin keeps the animals in a straight and narrow that they plow in a straight line. To bring produce and food to the world. So too, if we follow the Torah, it keeps us in the straight line. All those who study Torah, it gives us life. Then he continues. Ah, you might say, you might say, well, a darbin doesn't last forever. You know, it's something that's temporary. Is so maybe maybe the words of Torah also is only you know temporary. It's not it's not a, a, a permanent way of life. No, it says in the passing, miss they are better down like with nails. If you're going to compare Torah to nails, what do we know about nails? Nails, when you bang it into the wall, it has, it has to replace something. So you knock out some of the wood in the wall, let's say, and you put the nail in there. So Torah also, you're saying that Torah takes away, actually harms us, has some kind of adverse impact on us, like a nail? It just takes away, it doesn't really add. It also takes away, it doesn't add. It's like a plant. A plant, it grows and it multiplies. Also, when you learn Torah, you grow. Who are these people? The people gathered together. These are the rabbis. These are the rabbis that sit gathered together. But oiskin betayda, and they study tayda. Halolu metamin, halolu metarin. These people. Now, you look tayda, you'll see you, these people gather together, and there's always they're always arguing. Like having more time is there in the beginning. They're always arguing. These people say tamei, the not other person no tayda. Halolu oiskin. These people say it's prohibited. Halolu matina. These people say it's all right. Halolu paisling. These people say that it's disqual it's, it's disqualified. Halolu machshin. They say it's permitted. So a person might say, How am I supposed to study Torah? It's confusing. Therefore, the, the, the Pasuk says, Kulam all given by the same shepherd. Everything is Torah. Like we had in more Arab in there. It's all God's word. One God gave it to us. And one leader gave it to us. And everything he told us. Everything came from Hashem. It's called Ramela. Hashem said everything, everything we have today came from Hashem. Is now the problem is what about halacha? How do you work out what the halacha is? After I say oznecha, you should make your ear kafacheses like a like a filter that you know everything comes in through and you filter out. So you go through, understand all the different reasoning until you find a come to the conclusion who is right. In fact, because of this Gemara, the Madame the Prague's brother came out and he made a big war against Rabbi Yosef Cairo for writing Shulchan because he said that people there don't understand the, the background of these laws. You know, you just come up with the laws and if, if any variables change, the law might change as well and people don't understand. And here it says you have to learn both sides, both opinions so you understand and then you can understand the final halach. Anyway, you should acquire a good understanding heart. Try to understand both opinions. Those who say no good, those who say it's good. That's what that's what Allah Mazayi said. When Rabbi Yeshua heard this, he said, before he said, these precious diamonds you refuse to share with me. Now he said to them, this is what he said to them. Our generation is not a generation of orphans. Generation of Allah Mazayi lives amongst them, 
in our orphans. We are very lucky. So now the Gemara wants to understand why were these two students reluctant? This beautiful Divrei Torah. Why were they reticent in sharing it with Rabbi Yeshua? Why did you say openly? Because a story happened at that time, and they were so frightened, intimidated by these great Rabbonim that if they offend them in any way, who knows what the, the, the toll will be? What happened? It was a story at the time you learned. He went to visit Rabbi Lezer in, in Lut. Oh, my Lord, Rabbi Lezer ben Hurkunah said to him, Tell me, so what happened in Shul today? They weren't reticent. They did. Yesi wasn't reticent. He told them straight out. They sat there and they calculated that. Okay, what that means is as follows. We know there's a cycle, six years and then the seventh year Shmita, like this here in Israel. The first, second, fourth, fifth year, you have to give the truma and your Maisa Rishon and also Maisa Shani. Take the food up with your Jewish line. But the, the third and sixth year, you give your 10% to the poor. Then you have Shemitah. Shemitah, everything is hefker. Nobody plans. Nothing is growing. And the poor have a very difficult time. So the rabbi decided as follows. Transjordan was, was, Avery Yarden was holy. I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu gave it to Reuben and God and Hafshev Menashe. It was holy. But when Ezra went up the second time, they didn't sanctify certain parts of Avery Yarden. And the reason being, they wanted to say to the Avery Yarden, you know, it's not holy. There's no Shemitah here. Go plant so that you can give 10% to the poor. Even those two consecutive years of giving Meiser, only the rabbis made a deliberate thing because the poor would have nowhere to get their food from. The people who could afford it will buy from other places, but the poor had nowhere to go. So therefore, they made a special institution that in Abraham Yarden, uh, in the area of Sichan and, 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 uh, and Oig, that it's not, there's no Shemitah there, and they can plant, and they'll give Meiser only. So that's what he said. And this was decided amongst the rabbis today in the Beis HaMedesh. That's Sichon and Oi conquered. The, they were, the Jews were not allowed to wage a war against Amun and Moyev. But the Gemara says that Sichon and Oi enabled the Jews to wage a war because Sichon and Oi conquered the, um, Amun and Moyev. So now it became their property. And then the Yidin waged a war against them and took and confiscated it. So you can give Maaser only the Yerushmitah. Amala Yoisi, Rablozab and Herkules got upset. Yoisi, shake your neck, stretch out your hand, and accept your eyes, that was your vision, because you're no longer going to see. Now, why was Rablozab and Herkules upset? Either because he, he didn't give, show the due respect to his Rebbe by saying, you know, oh, teacher, I learned from you, I, I drink from you well, and then, you know, the teacher had to say, I don't mind, go ahead. He didn't give him that due respect, therefore he was upset. Oh, he was upset simply because you're repeating something that I knew already for hundreds of years. It was known already. And it's such stupidity. That's what you're doing in Beis HaMedish. And um, that's another way of looking at it. So, uh, or a third way is you were passing halach in front of your Rebbe. You're not passing halach in front of your Rebbe unless you ask. That's why the previous ones were saying hagadotah. They didn't want to uh, passing in front of their Rebbe. So anyway, bochot abelez, abelez and cried. But he felt bad what he, about his student, and he said, Hashem God, secrets are only to those who fear God, and the covenant to those who need to know. And he said, so maybe that's why he didn't know. Go tell your colleagues. You don't need your quorum over there. I heard from my teacher, Remember looking more Megillah that I never said anything I didn't hear from my teacher. Shishama Marabah, you heard from his teachers, Hilun Shama. Marabah, and they heard from their teachers. Hilchasilamashim is Sinai. 
questionable whether it actually literally means halacha mersinai or it means it's like it's such an ironclad rule. It's like halacha mersinai. That those regions there's no shmita. Why? When the Jews made went with Yeshua into Israel, they conquered a vast piece of Israel. But it wasn't conquered the second time when Ezra went up. Yeshua's conquest did not remain holy forever. And deliberately, the second time around, they left certain regions not to become holy. In order, the poor people would have where to eat and shmita. We learned. Um, interesting, Rabbeinu Hananel over here says, instead of Meiser Oni, he says the whole time Meiser Sheni. And, um, and in all the Gemara's life, it says Meiser Sheni, which may be Meiser Sheni they would bring with them to the Shalim, and we learned that all the leftover food they would distribute to the poor in the Shalim. So maybe that's what they did, because as Taisa had a problem, we don't find anywhere where they have two consecutive years Meiser Oni. Um, you know, year six and then year seven, two consecutive years to give the honey, that's that's not uh, demanded. So maybe Rabbi Nechanah is not a mistake, but maybe it means literally, <laughs> maybe it means my shame. Okay, Tony, we learned, after Blood and Lucas calmed down, Omari said, he rots and I wish, let's grant Yaisi's eyes, his vision back to him, the Chazor, and they came back. So these other two students heard about the story. They were scared to tell Rabbi Yeshua, what Rabbi Yeshua wanted here, because maybe he'll also get upset and make them blind. So therefore, or punish them some way or another. Therefore, they're very reluctant in sharing until Rabbi Yeshua showed them that, you know, he was very he was calm. I want you to share with me some of your, the Torahs of other Zayis. Tell me further. Tell Rabbi in our mission it says, we did Cherish, now we're Shaitan. Our mission says that a Shaitan is exempt. Now, whenever we say Shaitan, we use the term very loosely. If we mean uh, like if somebody's a total crackpot, it's not a shaita. That's a shigoyoin or um, something else. Not shaita. Shaita means a person that generally is normal, but he has some idiosyncrasies that prove that he's irresponsible. And if you're irresponsible, you're exempt from it. Because how can we give you responsibilities? We're not talking about somebody who acts crazy. If somebody acts crazy, he's definitely potted from all the myths. What's the point of telling him all this anyway? We're talking about somebody who, in many ways, is normal. And yet, in certain ways, he's not. And he shows us he's totally irresponsible. So, what exactly is it? What's the definition of a shaitan? Number one, he goes, he travels at night alone. It's dangerous, but he's, he's, he's immature, irresponsible. Number one. Number two, somebody sleeps in a cemetery. And Rashi says, at night, during the day, not a problem, only at night. And the problem then is, to get to the cemetery, you had to walk there. So isn't that already, you already covered the first one? So simple reading would be that um, we're talking about two people, that you go alone at night or you go to the cemetery, but two people together. When it comes to sleeping in the cemetery, it doesn't matter if it's one, two, three, four. That's a crazy thing to do. But actually at the Shir Mizrahi today, somebody said, came up with an idea that maybe that uh, if you went during the day and then you went to sleep there and you slept into the night. And therefore... It's not a problem of walking there, so that's a good answer as well. Um, that was Simon Weinstein. Or the third thing is you rip your clothes. Again, immature, irresponsible. Now, we know generally but to establish something, you have to do it three times. Rabbi Yehuda Nasi says twice. Rabbi Gamil says three times. So we're, so we're saying that you have to do these things three times. 
But the question is, he needs to do all three things. He needs to go alone at night, sleep in a cemetery at night, and rip his clothes. If he did each one of that at least once, then he's a, we establish him as a shaita, irresponsible, is exempt. If he does any one of these things, but he does it habitually, if he does it consistently, three times or more, that, that uh, labels him a shaita and he's exempt. So what are we talking about? We did it, and he, you can see from his behavior that it's quite obvious that he's doing it in a crazy way. That Philip even then, everyone will agree if he does one thing, he's crazy, and so, so he should be exempt. And he loves he's like a normal, he did it in a normal way, even though he did these things. Even though he slept, the, the basic part is if, if he did it in a normal way, like a normal person, he has whatever his reasons are, then what's the problem? Then why should he be classified as a shaitan? Says in modern, line up. He did it in a way that it looks a bit idiotic. But if he did only one of them, we can still explain it that maybe he's perfectly sane, but he has his Mishagas, for example. Um, for example, if the guy, for example, is sleeping in the cemetery, we can say, he has a cheshben. In his way, it's rational. He thinks that if he sleeps in a cemetery, somehow or another, he'll glean some of these uh, magical powers and he'll be able to do something. So this, 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 this sleeping is for a purpose. He's not, even though <coughs> we don't think he's, that's, a, that's a normal thing to do, but it's not a crazy, he'll make a crazy person. He thinks that he, somehow or another, he'll get some uh, abilities there. Or, if it goes along at night, maybe Rashi says he has depression. And therefore, he feels it goes outside, it'll help him out, calm him down. Or um, he, he's very, very hot inside internally, and therefore he wants to go out and catch some fresh air. Again, we can explain the behavior in a way that maybe I wouldn't do that, but it, there's, a, there's a rationale to it. Or Hamikare is somebody rips his clothes. Amy, you can say, he's a thinking person, and he's so lost in his thoughts that he doesn't even notice what he's doing, and he rips things, he bumps into walls, not because he's a crazy person. But he's just a bit thoughtless. If that's if you do each one on their own in isolation, we can somehow explain it. But if you do all three, that tells us definitely that, that we can establish this person is a shaitan. Says the Gemara, even the Kula says that all them Havilah is no different than Misha Nogach Shar Chamoyvagam. The Nasamu Lakol. We're gonna learn about Bakama. If you if an animal gores another animal once or twice, he's a tam. You pay half the half the damage. Does it habitually three times, becomes a muad, and you pay full damage. What about if he three times he damaged a cow and then he goes ahead and damages a sheep? As far as a sheep is concerned, he's not a muad. It's the first time. You, all of you know is that he's a, a, a muad when it comes to a cow. But if once they, they go, the cow gored a, a, a cow and the next day a sheep and the next day a goat, then we say, ah, obviously this animal is not picky, just a gorer. He's a muad regardless of what animal it attacks. Same thing here. Once you've done three different things and, and, and you've established that you are just a shaita irresponsible. So anymore, I'm going to pop it. Now, Papa said, Ishmael and Rabbi Hunna, we'll just finish this tomorrow. If Rabbi Hunna would have heard what we learned, Ezer a shaita, you know who's a shaita? Who's a shaita? Somebody, somebody loses everything you give him. And that's only one thing. And yet Rabbi and yet the Brisa says, even just one thing, you're already considered a shaita. So if Rav Huna would have heard this Bryce, Rav Huna said before, you need to do all three things before we classify you as a shaitan. Here the Bryce said, if he did one thing, just lose everything that you're given, 
That means you're irresponsible, you're a shaitan. Then he probably would have changed his mind about what he said. Hadabe uh, would have changed his mind. Now the question is, change his mind from what? If you look at the three cases that we talked about before, only one of them is similar to losing things. Ripping your clothes all the time is similar to losing things. But the other two, walking alone at night or going to a cemetery has nothing to do with losing things or ripping clothes. So when Rapapa said he would have changed his mind and said that one of them is enough if he does it three times to establish that he's a shaitan, what did he mean? Iboilu, kihava hadabe, who would have changed his mind? Would he change his mind only from a mekareak susay hudaha hadabe? You want to change his mind from ripping your clothes? The dam because ripping your clothes is very similar to losing things. So Rabbi if he would heard the price, he would have said, you know what, you're right. If three times you ripped your clothes, you're a shaitan. But if you walked out in this at night three times, you're not a Or Maybe he would have changed his mind from all of them, regardless of which one, because you, you bunched them all together. If he did any activity, which is not normal, and you did it three times, you repeated three times, that classifies you as a shaitan. Take who we remain with a question. Okay, Shavuot, everybody.